I'm Margaret Feinberg, and this is the Joycast. Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Joycast, the hap, hap, happiest half hour of your week. As always, I'm your host, and we have been lighting up the grill and eating so many fresh vegetables, I can hardly stand it. Now, if you haven't heard, on June 10th, we're kicking off the Taste and See Discovering God Among Butchers, Bakers, and Fresh Food Makers Bible Study on the Joycast. And so I'm encouraging you to reach out to your friends, neighbors, and people who would never even think about going to church and inviting them to your front porch or your home or a nearby picnic or park to dive into the sixth session, Taste and See Bible Study, where we are going to talk about all things food, food, and more delicious food. Now, the best part is that if you ask someone, hey, do you want to come over for some delicious appetizers and maybe talk about spirituality? The answer is usually, uh, yeah. So for six weeks, I'm going to be interviewing people featured in the book. And so I would love for you to let me know if you have any questions that you'd like me to ask. And you can email us at hello at margaretfeinberg.com. We are going to have some incredible guests on the show. And so if you have some questions, perhaps about meat or salt or some of the foods that are featured in the book and Bible study, send them in and go ahead and visit margaretfeinbergstore.com and order the book, workbook, and DVD and get ready for God to astound you at your table. Now, once again, we are so thankful for FabFitFun and their sponsorship of today's episode. It's a seasonal box with these full-size beauty, fitness, and lifestyle products worth over $250. Now, the amazing part is that if you use the code JOYCAST, you can save $10 off your first box, making it only $39.99. And I love these boxes and promise you are not going to be disappointed. Now, speaking of disappointment, I think that if we're really honest, disappointment, well, it's something that we all wrestle with. We go through seasons that are difficult, hard, downright dark. Our bodies fail us. A friend betrays us. An employer suddenly lets us go. And in those dark moments, I'm encouraged by the words of Barbara Brown Taylor, who says, God, well, he knows his way around the dark. One of my friends who literally battles with literal darkness every day is Jennifer Rothschild. You see, when Jennifer was 15, she noticed her eyesight started to deteriorate rapidly. And she was soon diagnosed with a degenerative eye disease that slowly eats away at the retina of the eye, leading to blindness. Jennifer has now lived longer in physical darkness than she ever did in physical light. And yet when I'm with her, she shines so bright. Her joy and strength and grace, they are contagious. And if you've ever been to one of her fresh grounded faith events, you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't been to one, stop, drop, and check out when a fresh grounded faith might be coming to your city or a town near you. 
Now, Jennifer has written more than 14 books and Bible studies, and today she's going to share some lessons from one of my all-time favorites, lessons I learned in the dark. We're going to dig deep into the topics of darkness and depression and discover hope and healing in those places. So pull up a chair as we dive deep in this rich conversation. Hey, Jennifer, it is so great to have you on the Joycast. I am so glad to be here. And I love your book, Lessons I Learned in the Dark. And you have so many rich lessons lessons from that. Would you be willing to share just one of those with us? Lessons I Learned in the Dark. First thing, at our old piano, we'd had it for many years, and um, I had taken a few years of piano lessons, but I was not a great musician. For sure. I am not being self-deprecating. I'm telling you the truth. I was not a good pianist. Um, But this particular day, uh, I sat down and of course, I could not see to read sheet music. I couldn't see the the difference between each key. It just was a blob of white with some shadow of dark key on there. But I began to play the piano that day. The silence was broken and I played by ear. And the very first song that I played I believe became for me the greatest lesson I've learned in the dark because the song that I played that day, I had never played before. And it was that beautiful old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And the truth is, Margaret, you know this because you live it. It's not always well with our circumstances, but it can be well with our souls. And I believe that is the first and greatest lesson I ever learned in the dark because sometimes we waste so much mental, spiritual, and emotional energy trying to fix our circumstances, trying to make it well with our circumstances. And the reality is there are some circumstances that will not change. They just won't. But God can change us from the inside and God can make it well with our souls as he, as he, gives us something else to focus on as he gives us grace beyond the weight of our burden. I mean, he just, he's done so much for me. So that's, that's what I would say to each listening right now is that no matter what you're facing, if it's not well with your circumstances, I know that's heartbreaking. I do know it's heartbreaking because here I am today. It's still not well with my circumstances, but it is well with my soul. And I know it can be well with your soul as you trust him with all the stuff that you don't like and all the stuff that doesn't make sense to you or that you don't understand. You know, what comes to mind is that Psalm that says, and I recited this so many times in my own battle for cancer, and that was, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Mm, That's so good. Well, it reminds me of a Psalm in uh, Psalm 119 that says, uh, if, if it were not for your word or, you know, scripture calls itself the law, if it not were, if it were not for your law, I would have perished in my affliction. So you're speaking of hope too, that you're going to see his goodness in the land of the living. And I'm speaking also of that grounding, that support, that motivation that says, if it weren't for your word, Lord, I wouldn't have made it this far. And that's what I'm still saying today. And that gives me hope for tomorrow. And I'll tell you this too. Um, Margaret, with those two scriptures in mind, it reminds me of another lesson I included in the book, and that is that you and I can trade in our fear for faith, 
because emotions are so powerful. They're just so powerful and they're so real and they're so legit. And we got to feel those feelings when we have loss, when we have disappointment, we can feel the sadness, we can feel the anger, we can feel the fear, we can feel all that stuff. We're supposed to, but we're not supposed to think with those emotions. And one of the greatest lessons that I've learned is that I can trade in that powerful emotion of fear, which it was very powerful, especially at the beginning. I didn't know how I'd finish high school. I didn't know how I'd finish college. I was terrified to walk across the street. I couldn't see food on my plate. I mean, there were a million things that I had to be afraid of. But God really began to teach me that faith is a choice and fear is a feeling. And through His grace, when I keep pressing into His word, and believing what he says, then I can trust my faith more than I trust my feelings. And that really has been a lesson that even today still gets me through the darkness. I'm curious if you can identify just a little bit more specific, what age did you get the news of the, the blindness was coming? And then what was that? How, what were the key ages where, when, when the light, maybe the ability to see was decreasing? In other words, how long was that period? Mm-hmm. So 15 was the initial diagnosis, but um, it's interesting. I'll tell you something I remember from when I could see. Right when it was starting to be dusk in my neighborhood, the street lights would just barely begin to illuminate. And I remember laying on the grass in the front yard and watching that street light illuminate so slowly. And I couldn't tell you when it finally came bright because it was such a slow process. I think the same has occurred with my blindness. It's been such a slow process that it's hard to give super clear landmarks, but I can think of a couple. You know, I I learned to walk with a cane when I graduated from high school. Um, I was no longer able to see faces immediately when I became legally blind. So when I met my husband, I couldn't see his face. Um, I remember In my 20s, things were still super shadowy, but I had light perception. So I would pin a jingle bell on our first child's on the back of his shirt, you know, so I could tell where he was. Getting into my 30s, um, things were still very dark, but I felt like I was still decently functional around the home, okay? As far as cooking, um, things were very tactile. I would mark things. And now I fast forward into this decade, which is, uh, I'm in my early 50s now, and I feel like I have hit a new landmark just in the last couple of years, not exactly sure when it hit, whereas I feel more blind than ever. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, I have felt like a woman who has walked with blindness, struggled with blindness, dealt with blindness. And now in the last couple of years, I feel like a blind woman. And to me, that makes a little difference. And to me, that's a significant landmark because what it's saying is suddenly I feel like I'm finally going to have to negotiate with blindness rather than constantly making blindness negotiate with me and my needs. I'm realizing that it that maybe I'm just a little older or maybe I'm just a little more tired or my brain capacity, what it requires to be blind takes so much and I don't have as much as I used to. And so I'm learning now that there's just no more light perception. And so I'm having to re-navigate the darkness in a whole new way. And it just seems like it's harder than it's ever been. Um, But I am also convinced that God's grace has so cushioned me through every decade of life that in this decade, 
the hard doesn't feel as hard as it would have if it weren't for God's grace. In the church, we often, and just as people, humanity, we often pull back from that which is unfamiliar. We don't know how to engage. How do how do I love you well as someone who has lost her sight? What are things that I can do and listeners can do um, to love you and to love love others who have lost their sight well? What are specific activities, responses, spaces that we can make and do to make that better? Such a great question, Margaret. I'm glad you asked. And, and just you asking that is probably echoing the question of many. And I love to answer this because we we're all in the family together. We want to love each other well. So I can tell you some things that are um, helpful by telling you perhaps maybe what not to do. Sometimes it's easier to remember those things. Um, when I'm with my husband or a friend and someone comes up to us um, and they engage him or my friend first, and then they they use that person as a proxy for me, what would she like for dinner? <laughs> or would she like to leave now instead of engaging me directly? If there's a tendency for that to happen, I am not insulted by it because I understand it's out of someone's um, sense of discomfort or that perhaps they're naive. So I get it. So please, if you've ever done that, I'm not in any way saying I'm offended by that. But that probably isn't the best way to engage someone who can't see because you want to do everything you can to make them feel less invisible and feel more autonomous as an individual, right? So talking to someone rather than about them when you're next to them is a wise way to handle it. Um, another is just to be gut honest. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm so glad to meet you. How can I best? That's always a good way to start a question. How can I best help you? How can I best serve you? Okay, that's always a, a winner. Another one is if you have a blind person, do not do this, please. I'm going to speak for all the blind people who've ever lived. Do not come up to that person and say, who am I? Can you figure out my voice? <laughs> One of my least favorite questions, because do you know how many voices I have to keep straight in my head and how many contexts? So that's really hard to do that to someone. Um, so I just don't think that's the best way to engage. And I know people do it trying to relate, but instead of of saying, hey, can you guess my voice? Every time, even this is what I appreciate the most, like even in my church, there's people I only see once a week, you know, and so I don't always have their voices and some of them I do, but there are some people who every week will say, hey, Jennifer, it's Linda. Thank you. You just took so much pressure off from me trying to figure that out. So little things like that make a difference. But if you don't remember a thing I said, the best thing to remember is to always begin a conversation with how can I best love you, serve you, you know, whatever. I'm not com I'm not familiar with this. How can I best do this? And that question is powerful because it translates across humanity. Whenever we're encountering somebody who maybe is in a situation or, or in a physical situation or an emotional one where, where we don't know how to respond, it, it's that invitation to engage and not withdraw. It's that invitation to not assume what the other person needs or wants, but to actually enter in and to love and serve them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember you when we've served together in ministry. And I remember when you were in the middle of the cancer battle and, and just the, the chemo, just what the, the physical toll it was taking on you. I remember being mindful, um, with book signing, how women wanted to just love you and hug you and how that, that was a challenge because it, it, it was physically painful. And we wouldn't know that. You know, if, if you've not been through what you've been through, sometimes people won't be aware. So to engage with honesty on both sides, 
Because you said to me, you know, that that's not ideal. It's really, it's difficult for me right now. I would have never known that because I've not walked that difficult path, which by the way, you walked with such joy. And I just am so grateful for your example and your faith, Margaret, as you've walked through this. But that was helpful to me. So I think the honesty goes both ways. You know, we ask, but we also offer honesty. We've talked a lot about physical darkness, but you and I have had many conversations at events and just just that we also struggle with emotional and spiritual darkness, that, that you and I both have wrestled with depression. And I know many of our listeners have as well. Can you talk to me just a little bit at the kind of seasons of life where that has entered in and how you best learn to maybe some practical tools to help navigate? Yeah, it really threw me for a loop. I got to be honest. I didn't know I was depressed. I just knew I was struggling to get my happy on and to stay focused and to stay oriented and to deal with lethargy and eating. And I mean, just a million things in my world internally were starting to collapse. So I did everything, you know, that that I would know to do. I tried to rest more. <laughs> I tried to drink less caffeine. I journaled. I thought. I walked. I exercised. I did everything I knew to do. And finally, um, after just not being able to to get my composure, I mean, I just began to cry. And literally, Margaret, it was like somebody opened Niagara Falls. Finally, I went to the doctor and she did some testing. And when she did, she told me that I was in full-blown menopause, which I really wasn't aware of the chemical impact that that had on my brain chemistry. And then she also explained how that impacted often my dopamine levels, which it had. And so uh, she said that I needed to have a prescription to help me get unstuck. And I remember, I'm not proud of this, but I share it because I just am so committed to demystifying this in the church. Um, I, I kind of pushed back a little. I didn't want to take medicine because I thought taking medicine for depression was a lack of faith or something was wrong with me or it was a cop out. You know, I felt like, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have depression if I'm a Christian. And so um, evidently she, she could read my mind as she's watching my face evidently as I'm processing this. And of course she knows what I do as a believer in Christ and as an author and Bible teacher. And so she says to me, let me ask you a question. Um, if your liver was sick right now and I offered you a prescription for your liver, would you hesitate for one second to take medication for your liver? And I said, no. And she said, well, your brain is an organ and your brain needs medication. And there's nothing unspiritual about that. And it was such a, a humbling revelation for me to understand that um, I was superimposing something spiritual on something that truly was utterly physical. Now, it, it, it was originating as a physical situation with me, but did it have spiritual ramifications? Absolutely it did. I couldn't think straight. I couldn't feel straight. I was so confused about my relationship with God. It was so unmooring. But the reality is when I did begin to take the medication, and it took a few weeks, of course. But once it began to really work, then I had the physical underpinning to be able to process through some of these difficult emotional and spiritual ramifications. And here's the real fun thing, just, just for grins. I told you a few minutes ago, you know, that I played that song, It Is Well With My Soul. It's the first song I played. Wouldn't you just know it, that the doctor gave me a prescription for Wellbutrin 
So I started singing It Is Well Butrin with my soul. <laughs> but here's the real point, okay? My story is different from your story. It's different from every listener's story. We all have a different story. But the principles that we have in common are these, that there's nothing to be ashamed of if you have depression, just like there's nothing to be ashamed of if you have a broken leg. It needs to be treated as a condition. Doesn't mean you need to immediately run to a doctor or medication first, but it also means that you do not need to neglect that option if other things like physically taking care of yourself and maybe getting some counseling has not helped. And then also, it's a reminder that we're all in this thing together. Nobody's got this thing figured out. And the more honest we are with each other, then the more um we the more we give an opportunity for satan not to step in and make something like depression worse there can be quicker healing when the body of christ is more honest with each other it is so true you know i remember in fighting cancer just i mean the depression it it was it was uh, first of all you just like with your menopause, I mean, the chemicals that are inserted into my body, the, they'd have to jack me up on steroids after treatment and, and the emotional, physical, chemical roller coaster was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. And even after the chemo was done, I stayed on antidepressants and still have to help balance things out, to help me be at a place where I feel like there are times that depression, it, it, it comes on us and it may be physical, it may be emotional. I think sometimes it can also have a spiritual element to it because when it goes dark, the enemy loves to have a heyday at times. And in that, um, in those moments of that darkness, it feels like to me, I can't even get oxygen in my lungs. I am just struggling to just, everything is drudgery. There is this thick fog that settles in and nothing is clear. Um, it, it feels like, you know, if I'm crying out to God, it feels like the words aren't going anywhere. I don't have the energy. I don't have the strength. And yet, you know, with medication at times, it, it's not that necessarily the depression or elements of it lift, but it's that all of a sudden there's oxygen in my lungs. There, the, there's enough clarity in front that I can start to negotiate you know, a way forward. And I think that's what you're describing. Yeah. It gives you the capacity that you would have had when you were healthy to deal with the hard things. And you know, it's funny too, Margaret, I, I guess it was January um, that I stopped taking the medication. And of course this was under the supervision of my doctor. You know, I, you just don't do those things on your own. And because I felt like it was time, but you, you always approach those things wisely. So anyway, I have been off, I have stayed off. And someone said to me, um, just a few weeks ago when I was having a conversation with her, she said, oh, that's awesome. Congratulations. Way to go. As if it were my personal success. And I thought about that later. If I had just gone off an antibiotic because my viral symptoms were over and my antibiotic was done, nobody would say, congratulations. Way to go. You did it. As if I accomplished something. We would have just celebrated the healing, right? And I think that's another thing for us to remember that especially when you have an endogenous sort of depression, like what you're describing too, um, with, with the chemo, that it's just something that has to heal and get well. And for some people, it may take two months. For some time, sometimes it may take a lifetime. Um, and that's okay. Neither one shows a lack of success or a greater success. 
To me, success is daily obedience, trusting God in the place you are with what you got. And I also think it's a matter of thinking about what we're thinking about. In January, as you were coming off medication, I ended up sinking into a deep depression and it got so dark. And I just felt the enemy slither in and just say, you're done. Why keep living? Why hang on? You're, you have no impact. You don't matter. And, and I remember I was in this really, really dark season. And I had a friend come up to me and he said, Margaret, somewhere along the way, you have made agreements with the universe that are simply not true. And those words just pierced my heart. And I remember coming home and I actually spent two days just saying, God, forgive me, help me. I don't, I don't want to be in agreement with anything that is not true. That's not true with who you are, your character, and what you say about me. And as I began repenting and then replacing those with the truth of scripture, within, this doesn't sound wild, but in 48 hours, my husband looked at me and said, you're a different person. I don't know what just happened. And so to also recognize that at times that darkness can have a spiritual element to it. And that it, when, when my thoughts are awry, I find myself now asking, you know, Holy Spirit, Lord, where have I come into agreement with things that are not true of who you say I am and who you are, God? And that it's just one more tool in our tool belt that when the darkness comes in to poke holes until it bleeds light. You preach it, sister. That is inspiring. And you said something that I don't think we think of often. You said repent and then replace those words. And I think that's a good word for me to hear today um, that I need to pay attention. I said the scripture earlier, if it not if it were not for your word, the truth of his word, I would have perished in my affliction. And when I find myself slowly perishing emotionally, mentally, I need to check and make sure I'm not believing something other than his word. And if I am, I need to repent and replace it with the word. Good word, Margaret. Thank you. I love that. Let me ask you, when you kind of, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one who falls in kind of these little pit holes of darkness, of, of stinking thinking, of the <laughs> negativity, of the, what do you do to kind of become aware and to, to, to get those back out of your head? Mm, I do but, an audit. Okay. I do an audit, an internal audit. And what I mean by that is this, I pay attention to what I'm paying attention to because I can so slip into um, listening to the wrong things. So because I can't see, of course, I, I don't sit and read books, but I listen to a ton of books and I have such varied taste and I enjoy fiction, okay, which is fine. It's awesome. To me, it's my little mental vacation. But I can find myself sometimes when I'm realizing I'm I'm being more impatient or I'm really hard on myself or I'm critical of somebody else, I'll start to notice these little things that, like you explained, they stink. Well, anytime something stinks, it's because there's something rotten. And that's when I do this audit and I'll realize, okay, j Row, I'm sorry, that's what my husband calls me. Okay, j Row, um, that's, you've been listening to everything but scripture. You may have listened to scripture for 10 minutes today, but you've been listening to fiction books or the news or the news feed or this opinion page on some op-ed, you've been spending a whole lot more time ingesting that. And so I realized that truly for me, I'm so desperate for God's word that if I don't make sure that I discipline myself in his word, my thoughts will wander and it doesn't take long for my attitude to change and my behavior to start to suffer. So for me, when I sense the symptom, I go straight to the internal audit and say, what are you feeding yourself? What are you paying attention to? And then, you know, I know you know this, Margaret, I've written a Bible study about it because this has been such an issue for me of learning to, to keep my thought closet clean 
And I do it by recognizing, doing that internal audit, recognizing what I'm saying to myself. And then when I realize it stinks or it's a lie, then I truly ask the Lord to give me the discipline to refuse it. You know, like Second Corinthians tells us that we can hold every thought captive and make it obey Christ. Reject it. Refuse it. Don't let it in until I replace it with truth. But I, like like I said a few minutes ago, I love that you added the word repent. Sometimes we need to add that repentance in there also. Lord, forgive me for agreeing with the lies and I receive the truth instead. That is so rich. So rich. Well, one of the things that we always do on the Joycast is we ask our guests for one recipe that they love to make. And so I would love to hear, are there any recipes that you enjoy with your family that you think our (laughs) listeners would enjoy too? Well, I don't know if they'd enjoy it, but I I think they could tweak the ingredients to make sure they did because it is Raisin Bran Muffins. And y'all, this is the most down-home unfancy a recipe you will ever probably eat because it is made with a box of Raisin Bran cereal. <laughs> and I think when my mom first got the recipe, she got it from a lady in our church. And I think it was called Six Weeks six weeks muffins. In other words, they can stay in the fridge. The batter can stay in the fridge for six weeks before it spoils, but they never last that long at my house. But it's truly Raisin Bran cereal uh, with buttermilk. And then I use wheat flour with it. And I add a ton more raisins and a lot of cinnamon. And I reduce the sugar in the recipe. And there's nothing better than waking up and smelling those warm Raisin Bran muffins. Ooh. So all you have to do to get that recipe is go to margaretfeinberg.com backslash joycast and you can make these muffins and wake up to them tomorrow. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for being on the Joycast. Thanks, Margaret. Love you. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Joycast. If you've enjoyed today's conversation and you'd like to dive deeper into the unexpected joys awaiting you around your table, check out my new book and Bible study, Taste and See, Discovering God Among Butchers, Bakers, and Fresh Food Makers. These resources will help you savor your life, nourish your friendships, and embark on your greatest faith adventure. You can purchase them at your favorite retailer or margaretfeinbergstore.com. If you do, reach out to me on social media or my website and let me know what you think. Until we meet again, bon appetit and amen.